This is Dr. Scott Sischer, Deputy Editor of the Journal of Allergy and Clinical Immunology in Practice. Thank you for listening to the highlights of our April 2021 Volume 9, Issue 4 theme issue on atopic dermatitis. I want to especially thank our theme coordinators from our editorial board, Dr. Carla Aruda and Dr. Jennifer Copling. They also wrote a terrific editorial on the theme issue. I draw your attention to wonderful reviews in the theme issue. One is on emerging systemic therapeutic biologics and small molecules for atopic dermatitis, and that comes with CME. Another on management of severe atopic dermatitis in pediatric patients, also with CME. A clinical commentary review on measuring atopic dermatitis disease severity with CME. Also a review on sleep disturbances in atopic dermatitis and an interesting grand rounds review on differentiating inborn errors of immunity and atopic dermatitis. This issue also has a rostrum entitled GINA 2020, Potential Impacts, Opportunities, and Challenges for Primary Care. The issue also includes important reviews and feature articles on COVID-19. A special article is on mRNA vaccines and allergic potential from those and how to evaluate them. An editorial looks at COVID-19, avoiding overdiagnosis of anaphylaxis risk during vaccination. And there's a rostrum exploring why some people develop serious COVID-19 disease after infection and others don't. This brings us to highlights of 20 articles that are original articles, full-length articles in this issue. The first, timeliness of DTaP IPV HIV vaccination and development of atopic dermatitis between four months and one year of age, register-based cohort study by Geert et al. What is already known about this topic? Vaccines can trigger non-antigen-specific immune responses. An Australian study of approximately 4,000 children found that delayed vaccination with the non-live diphtheria, tetanus, and acellular pertussis-inactivated polio vaccine, Haemophilus influenza type 1, B, DTaP, vaccine was associated with reduced risk of atopic dermatitis. What does this article add to our knowledge? Delayed vaccination at least one month with the first dose of DTAP was associated with a 6% lower risk of developing new cases or of more severe atopic dermatitis between age four months and age one year in a cohort of nearly 900,000 Danish children. How does this study impact current management guidelines? Many issues should be considered when designing vaccination programs. Maternal pertussis vaccination, accompanied with fewer and later doses of DTAP in children, may reduce the occurrence of atopic dermatitis without compromising the protection against pertussis. The next article, Clinical Outcomes in People with Difficult-to-Control Asthma Using Electronic Monitoring to Support Medication Adherence by Body et al. What's already known about this topic? Seven-day phenosuppression testing with fluticasone plus inhaler compliance assessment, INCA, electronic monitoring added to usual therapy coupled with home phenomonitoring identifies medication not adherence in difficult-to-control asthma. Long-term clinical outcomes are not known. What does this article add to our knowledge? A simplified approach where usual inhaled corticosteroid Long-acting beta-2 agonist, LABA, is replaced with fluticasone salmeterol plus Inca for 28 days with repeat assessments in clinic 
provides similar results to the seven-day test. Clinical outcomes improved for many previously non-adherent patients. How does this study impact current management guidelines? Use of the 28-day fluticasone cell meterol plus Inca protocol as a pre-step stratification tool for biological therapy in patients with a high baseline pheno may reduce unnecessary, unnecessary biologic prescribing and oral corticosteroid exposure whilst optimizing treatment with ICS lava therapy. The next article is entitled Complications and Healthcare Resource Utilization Associated with Systemic Corticosteroids in Children with and Adolescents with Persistent Asthma by Sullivan et al. What's already known about this topic? A clear association exists between systemic corticosteroid use and complications in individuals with asthma greater than 18 years of age, but this association in asthmatic children and adolescents under 18 years is less well explored. What does this article add to our knowledge? Children and adolescents who receive as few as one to three systemic corticosteroid preparations per year have an increased risk of developing corticosteroid-related complications. How does this study impact current management guidelines? Optimal management of persistent asthma in children and adolescents should aim to reduce the need for systemic corticosteroids in recognition of the associated potential for complications. The next article is entitled, Effect of LTRA in L-ASA Challenge for Aspirin Exacerbated Respiratory Disease Diagnosis by Ramirez Jimenez et al. What's already known about this topic? Several types of challenges have been used for the diagnosis of hypersensitivity to aspirin and or non-steroidal anti-inflammatory drugs, including oral, intravenous, bronchial, and nasal routes of administration. However, there's no internationally unified consensus to perform nasal challenge tests with lysine acetyl salicylate L-ASA, either with or without the use of a leukotriene receptor antagonist, LTRA, before the nasal challenge. What does this article add to our knowledge? This study has demonstrated that patients with anti-leukotriene treatment showed a greater positive response to the L-ASA challenge than those taking this drug, increasing both accuracy and sensitivity of the test. How does this study impact current management guidelines? Anti-leukotriene therapy reduces the response to the nasal L-ASA challenge significantly. Thus, it is recommended to avoid the use of LTRA when performing a nasal LASA challenge. The next article is entitled, Diabetes mellitus is associated with worse outcomes in patients hospitalized for asthma by Zhang et al. What is already known about this topic? Diabetes mellitus and asthma frequently coexist and are closely related. Diabetes via augmented systemic inflammation likely worsens asthma disease severity. Conversely, Certain asthma treatments, including corticosteroid, negatively impact diabetic control. What does this article add to our knowledge? When hospitalized for asthma, patients with coexisting diabetes had longer length of stay, higher cost, and were more likely to be readmitted within 30 days of discharge when compared to patients without diabetes. How does this study impact current management guidelines? Patients with coexisting asthma and diabetes likely constitute an underrecognized high-risk group for asthma hospitalization and related adverse outcomes. Dedicated research and innovative management strategies for this group are urgently needed. The next study is entitled Reduced Exhaled Breath Condensate, pH, and Severity of 
Allergic Sensitization Predicts School-Age Asthma by Krebel et al. What's already known about this topic? Early risk stratification in young children with a history of wheezing is of great clinical importance. Our baseline study identified deaerated exhaled breath condensate pH, abbreviated DEBCPH, as a potential predictive marker to detect asymptomatic preschoolers at high asthma risk. What does this article add to our knowledge? The present follow-up suggests that DEBCPH, combined with capacity class and clinical information, constitutes a sensitive, non-invasive marker with high negative predictive value for early detection of asymptomatic preschool children with increased asthma risk. How does this study impact current management guidelines? Diagnosing asthma at preschool age with a low rate of false negative cases will enable early guideline-based therapy, thus reducing under-treatment and risk of future exacerbations, improving symptom control, and possibly preserving lung function. The next article is entitled, titled, Longitudinal Analysis of Lung Function in Pregnant Women with and Without Asthma by Jensen et al. What is already known about this topic? Spirometry is a useful clinical asthma management tool, yet its utility in pregnancy is unclear. What does this article add to our knowledge? Pregnancy and mild asthma have limited impact on spirometry. How does this study impact current management guidelines? Spirometry can be used in clinical assessment and education during pregnancy. The next article is entitled, The Impact of Patient Self-Monitoring via Electronic Medication Monitor and Mobile App Plus Remote Clinician Feedback on Adherence to Inhaled Corticosteroids, a Randomized Controlled Trial, by Mosname et al. What's already known about this topic? Poor adherence to inhaled corticosteroids and over-reliance on sure-acting beta-2 agonists are risk factors for uncontrolled asthma. What does this article add to our knowledge? Compared with a control group, patients self-monitoring via electronic medication monitors and a smartphone application, plus remote clinician feedback, helped maintain baseline adherence to inhaled corticosteroids and decrease short-acting beta-2 agonist use. How does this study impact current management guidelines? Although asthma guidelines endorse self-monitoring and feedback to increase or maintain adherence, most strategies are resource-intensive. This intervention is delivered remotely via digital platform and clinician phone calls, thereby increasing flexibility and reducing costs. The next article is entitled Remission and Changes in Severity Over 30 Years in an Adult Asthma, Asthma Cohort by Tupper et al. What's already known about this topic? Asthma remission rate is low in adults, but knowledge of factors associated with remission is scarce. What does this article add to our knowledge? Over 30 years, remission of objectively verified asthma is associated with short disease duration. How does this study impact current management guidelines? Early recognition and treatment of asthma in adults with preserved lung function may improve the likelihood of remission. The next article is entitled, Aspirin Exacerbated Respiratory Disease Association Between Patient-Reported Sinus and Asthma Morbidity by Bergmark et al. What is already known about this topic? Aspirin Exacerbated Respiratory Disease, abbreviated AERD, is characterized by asthma, chronic rhinosinusitis with nasal polyps, and hypersensitivity to aspirin and other non-steroidal anti-inflammatory drugs. What does this article add to our knowledge? Chronic and severe sinonasal symptoms are a chronic cause of morbidity for patients with AERD. This study demonstrates a significant association between patient-reported rhinosinusitis symptom severity 
and subjective and objective asthma severity in patients with AERD. How does the study impact current management guidelines? Patients with AERD who report worsening sinonasal symptoms should be evaluated for asthma control and pulmonary function. Severity of sinonasal symptoms and asthma symptomatology is correlated. Further research is needed to confirm the hypothesis that improved sinonasal disease control would improve asthma symptomatology in patients with AERD. The next article is entitled, Potential Severe Asthma Hidden in UK Primary Care by Ryan et al. What is already known about this topic? Primary care physicians are often reticent to refer patients with asthma to specialist care because they are working under the expectation that all asthma can be managed effectively in primary care and or are unaware of the benefits of referral. What does this article add to our knowledge? There are a large number of patients with asthma in the United Kingdom with potential severe asthma, 8%, who are managed long-term in primary care who may be eligible for referral to specialist care. How does this study impact current management guidelines? Our findings may help primary care physicians recognize those with hidden severe asthma in their care. These patients would benefit from a structured assessment by their primary care physician with possible referral to specialist care. Next article is entitled, Patient Reported Burden of Chronic Cough in a Managed Care Organization by Zeiger et al. What is already known about this topic? Using electronic health records, we have reported that patients diagnosed with chronic cough by specialists exhibit considerable disease burden and health care resource utilization, abbreviated HCRU. What does this article add to our knowledge? The present survey of patients with chronic cough documents that patients report substantial cough severity, poor cough health status and quality of life, frequent cough hypersensitivities and cough triggers, discouraging response to medications, and frequent HCRU. How does the study impact current management guidelines? The substantial disease burden associated with chronic cough provides additional documentation of the need for more effective diagnostic and treatment tools for successful management of chronic cough. The next article is entitled, A Randomized Controlled Trial to Assess the Effect of Lidocaine Administered via Throat Spray and Nebulization in Patients with Refractory Chronic Cough by Abdul Kwawi et al. What is already known about this topic? A number of case reports and case series have reported that off-license use of nebulized lidocaine as an antitussive in various respiratory disorders, including patients with refractory chronic cough. What this study adds, this first randomized placebo-controlled study of lidocaine in patients with refractory cough shows that lidocaine delivered as a throat spray to the pharynx reduced objective cough rates over 10 hours, whereas nebulized lidocaine did not. The greatest reduction in cough was in the first hour after treatment. How does the study impact current management guidelines? This study draws into question the clinical use of nebulized lidocaine for refractory chronic cough. Future sodium channel blockers with less irritant effect and longer duration of action may be effective antitussive agents. The next article is entitled, Evaluating Immediate Reactions to Cephalosporins, Time is of the Essence, by Romano et al. What is already known about this topic? Parent drugs are used as skin test reagents for evaluating subjects with hypersensitivity reactions to cephalosporins. However, a few studies have assessed the diagnostic value of cephalosporin skin tests in patients with immediate reactions. 
What does this article add to our knowledge? Skin testing with parent cephalosporins is a useful tool in evaluating immediate reactions to these beta-lactams with a rate of positive results that can reach 70%. How does the study impact current management guidelines? IgE-mediated cephalosporin hypersensitivity may disappear over time. Therefore, it's advisable to retest subjects who experienced anaphylactic reactions and present negative allergy test results, including challenges, when evaluated more than six months after the reaction. The next study is entitled Safety of Intravenous Iron Following Infusion Reactions by Stojanovic et al. What's already known about this topic? Hypersensitivity reactions of any severity to intravenous iron have a reported prevalence of less than 0.1%. The majority of adverse reactions to iron are not immunological IgE-mediated responses. What does this article add to our knowledge? Recommencement of an infusion after transient flushing in truncomyalgias or mild and moderate hypersensitivity reactions to intravenous iron is safe. Rechallenge to an alternative intravenous iron formulation following transient flushing in truncal myalgias or mild and moderate single system hypersensitivity reactions is safe. How does the study impact current management guidelines? Current guidelines are based on expert opinion and isolated case reports. This study provides clinical guidance regarding the safety of recommending an infusion or subsequent rechallenge following an adverse reaction to intravenous iron. The next article is entitled Accurate Prediction of Peanut Allergy in One-Third of Adults Using a Validated RH2 Cutoff by Kansen et al. What's already known about this topic? The diagnostic value of peanut components is extensively studied in children, but less in adults. An RH2 cutoff level greater than or equal to 1.75 KUA per liter with 100% positive predictive value has been reported in adults. What does this article add to our knowledge? Specific IgE to RH2 and 6 have equally high discriminative ability in adults. The validated RH2 cutoff predicts peanut allergy in one-third of adults. How does the study impact current management guidelines? Uh, specific IgE to RH2 should be used to reduce the need for double-blind placebo-controlled food challenges using the validated 100% positive predictive cutoff level of greater than or equal to 1.75 KUA per liter in adults. The next study is entitled Characteristics of Food Allergic Reactions in United States Restaurants by Oriel et al. What's already known about this topic? Food allergic reactions occur while dining out. Prior studies have shown that restaurant patrons fail to communicate allergies to restaurant staff and restaurant staff lack fundamental food allergy knowledge that could help decrease allergic reactions. What does this article add to our knowledge? Peanut, trina, and milk are the most commonly implicated foods in restaurant allergic reactions, with tree nuts the most common cause of epinephrine use. More than one in four reactions result in epinephrine use. How does this study impact current management guidelines? Data presented here of the circumstances surrounding food allergic reactions will help counsel food allergic patients and advance advocacy efforts for mandatory declarations of allergenic ingredients on menus and food allergy training of restaurant staff. The next Studies entitled Characteristics of Peanut Allergy Diagnosis in a U.S. Healthcare Claims Database 2011 to 2017 by Mar et al. What's already known about this topic? Although peanut allergy is a serious, potentially life-threatening condition that substantially impairs quality of life among patients and their caregivers, the epidemiology and disease burden are not well defined. What does this article add to our knowledge? This large nationally representative longitudinal claims analysis suggests 
that the incidence and prevalence of peanut allergy in the United States may be increasing and characterized by a high comorbidity burden and severe reaction rate. How does the study impact current management guidelines? Peanut allergy management using avoidance measures alone may be insufficient. Implementation of effective tools to manage peanut allergy is needed to avoid severe reactions and reduce impact on healthcare burden and quality of life. The next study is entitled Criteria for the Regression of Pediatric Mastocytosis, a Long-Term Follow-Up by Polifka et al. What's already known about this topic? In contrast to adult-onset mastocytosis, mast cell infiltration in children is usually limited to the skin and typically regresses after several years. The underlying mechanism has not yet been identified. What does this article add to our knowledge? In children, congenital disease and the kit D816V mutation were associated with the regression of cutaneous mastocytosis. Symptoms of mast cell activation may worsen over time, even after cutaneous regression. The rare aggressive forms were symptomatic from the outset. How does this study impact current management guidelines? Kit D816V is not associated with a poor prognosis in children. Long-term follow-up is mandatory for children with mastocytosis and symptoms of mast cell activation. The next article is entitled, Scoring the Risk of Having Systemic Mastocytosis in Adult Patients with Mastocytosis in the Skin by Fuchs et al. What is already known about this topic? Patients with mastocytosis in the skin need a bone marrow biopsy to differentiate between cutaneous and systemic mastocytosis. Several parameters may be indicative for systemic involvement in patients with mastocytosis in the skin, but no score-based estimation model is available. What does this article add to our knowledge? Our article is the first to describe a large data set based risk score for systemic involvement in patients with mastocytosis in the skin ready for application to clinical practice. How does the study impact current management guidelines? Our score is ready for use to estimate the actual risk of patients with mastocytosis in the skin to have systemic mastocytosis, which may in turn support the physician's decision of whether and when to recommend a bone marrow biopsy. This is Scott Sischerer, Deputy Editor of the Journal of Allergy and Clinical Immunology and Practice, thanking you for listening to the highlights of our April 2021 Volume 9 Issue 4 theme issue.